Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's the Story podcast. This is WTS 287. My name is Danny Murray. And I'm Graham Merrigan. Mero, how are you? Good, good. I have to laugh, Danny. Straight in, straight yeah. off the bat. Go have to laugh. Um, the last time we recorded, we did an intro where we were <laughs> in, uh, Manchester United. And then literally the day after that podcast was released, they mm. got hammered. Yeah. By Liverpool Football Club, 7-0 at Anfield. That was very entertaining. It, it, uh, it, was, it was a life lesson, Graham, for me. And it, it's the hope that kills you. Just yeah, well, get hopeful about Manchester United. I remember when it went 5-0, they went 5-0 up. I think I sent you an audio note saying our intro is in the bin. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But look, it's... it's uh, Point still stands in terms of United being a different team than last year. Across across the whole of the season, a better team and a team that I'm much happier following and watching week in, week out. But so entertaining that we did that. But, the amount of text that I got. Oh man, like ridiculed. I've been yeah. ridiculed. And rightfully so. Look, fair enough. That's, that's... The show, David Chambers texted me and said he nearly crashed the car. <laughs> so if we can provide that entertainment very good <laughs> but stay safe out there folks stay safe uh, David Chambers Lovage yeah man yeah it's uh, not not our finest moment but this happens regularly I regularly predict things and they go absolutely haywire I was for a while of course the person who was saying Putin's not that bad a guy he's not going to do anything stupid lads everything needs to calm down <laughs> and here we are over the year later and he's proven himself to be an insufferable bollocks Every single day, and um, so yeah, I, 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 wrong. I've been very wrong very many times. Which are look that that's life lessons learned for you. Um, and speaking of life lessons learned for you, Graham, yeah, our guest this week is Professor Roseanne Kenny from Trinity College Dublin. I'm really looking forward to this because I like science topics. Yeah, so so Professor Kenny and a team of researchers and scientists and brilliant, brilliant, brilliant uh, boffins in Trinners have a study called the TILDA study, the Irish Longitudinal Aging Study, um, which looks at the process of aging. And she tells us a little bit about it and all that kind of crack. Don't worry, uh, better explained by Horton by me. But we're specifically talking to her about aging in general and how we can all try and just be healthier and stay younger for longer. And I'm delighted to say that Professor Roseanne Kenny from Trinity College joins us now. Professor Roseanne, thank you very much for uh, having a chat with us, taking time out to explain to two curious Egypts what's going on now that we're feeling older. <laughs> you don't look older. Um, <laughs> so, so no, I'm very happy. Thank you. I'm very happy. And, 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 and I think it's important to say that although my area of interest is aging and why we age and how to, how to kind of manage our biological aging as much as possible and how much of it in, we can control, it's what I'm, everything I'm going to say is pertinent to people 20 and above. Yeah. Uh, because that's when the whole process really, really kicks in. So, right, before we, 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 we dive straight in and all that kind of thing, I first came across you, uh, I think you were on Radio 1 recently doing an interview talking about the TILDA study. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that. Oh, I, with great pleasure. Thank you. And 
and and with great pleasure to acknowledge my team until they have about 45 people working on it and they're fab young researchers and administrators and also the participants almost 9000 of them who've stuck with this study for 10 years i'll tell you what it is it's a longitudinal study so that means you're looking at the same people at repeated episodes in our case every 2 years as long as you can in in some studies it's until people die okay we've started this study now it's age 45 so we're following people from age 45 onwards every 2 years and if you can imagine you're a 45-year-old male and you've been in our study for the last 12, 13 years, then we know what you looked like physically and, and brain health-wise and your emotions and your social connections when you were 45. And we've been able to actually map and track how all of those different elements have changed over that period of time. And we continue to do that. And then from the research perspective, we can go back and say, okay, this man who was 45 when he came to us, he's now 65 and you know, he's had a stroke or he's getting early signs of dementia or he slowed down an awful lot or he has arthritis. And we can go back to what he looked like at 45, including his blood tests, what we call biomarkers from the bloods, some of which are genetic markers and say, right, what was it about that 45-year-old male which actually determined that those episodes were going to happen 20 years from the time we started following him up? And then we obviously generalise that to the Ireland as a whole because we can do that. That's the way the sample frame has been set up. And then that helps us ultimately to inform individuals, not necessarily individuals in the trial, of course, but individuals in Ireland, but also policymakers, just about... What are the important things that we can modify, we can do something about to prevent any untoward events later on in life? So that's what the study is. And it's probably, it's one of the best, the terminology is phenotype. That just means characterized studies of this sort worldwide. In other words, that we take elements from every sort of characteristic. We even look at people's attitudes to those close to them and their, their friendships and, you know, all sorts of all sorts of things, how much money they have in the bank, how much money they've had at any stage, what it's like to retire and all of the things that happen during that transition period, what it's like for your kids to leave the house and your emptiness. What does that really impact on and how deep is that impact on individuals and who are the ones who are resilient to that and who are the ones to succumb to that and actually really get down around that period of time so it's all of those wonderful transitions that occur in life and then of course because we're looking at the same people repeatedly we have what we call natural experiments and unfortunately we had that dreadful recession so we were actually able to look at the impact of that awful 2009 recession on people's lives, on every aspect, social, economic and health. Yeah. And 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 um, and whether or not like members of the family had to emigrate during that, how, how whether they had to sell their house, the impact of all of that on brain health and physical health and other aspects. The other, of course, big natural disaster or experiment that that occurred was COVID and we actually did a special COVID wave to try and understand the impact of COVID on our participants and their families and their, their lives in general. How do you find your participants? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So they have to be what we call 
a representative sample. So lots of people come to us and say, I'd love to be part of your study. I'd love to get the TILDA health assessment. The point is we have to do it randomly. So we get we got a geo directory working with the ESRI, which is the, the, all the addresses in Ireland. But there was no age attached to the addresses, right? There are no identifiables. So we took the addresses. We randomly, literally selected about 30,000 addresses and then cold called on 30,000 houses across Ireland. Wow. And now the way we did the random selection was was it was a it was correct statistically in that we 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 randomly selected proportionately more people in Dublin because one million point three yeah. live in Dublin for, and and in Cork and in Galway and the Limerick the the cities and then likewise in the in the in the rural Ireland so it's a representative sample in that context we cold called on houses and it was two thousand and nine you know and you remember we were pretty deep into the recession at that stage and all the shock horror that we were experiencing as a society we had a remarkable response rate from cold calling on someone's door saying is there anybody aged fifty or more lives here and if so would you like to take Part in a longitudinal study will be working with you every two years and you'll be giving us your information and et cetera. And the response we had was so generous as it continues to be. And I think it was because people 45 years and older really felt that they they could do something for Ireland. They could yeah. do something for society at the time. This was their way of giving back when we were so limited in anything we could do um, to our, our society as a whole. So it's, yeah. as you said, like 12, 12, 13 years in, what have, is, is there any kind of key standouts that kind of you've gone, oh, this is, this is interesting now. This is because, I mean, I'd imagine the data you guys have now is. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of stuff that, 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 I mean, I suppose if I was to focus on the big ones, how important, um, believe it or not, your friendships are the quality of your friendships, your social network. Yeah. The, the, that, that you have close, close um, people in your network that you can share with. And one of, the, one of the really interesting questions is, you know, if you got sick at two o'clock in the morning, how many people do you have you could call if you were at home? Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting. And that, that actually predicts an awful lot in terms of your health status, believe it or not. So well. how many people you can share uh, with is very important. Um, that's one of the main. That's one of the main features, actually. And then in that context, as you get older, to always make sure you've got intergenerational friendships, right? That yeah. your friendships in in, in uh, throughout different decades. We don't do that, and we really don't do it in Ireland. We're very bad. The the Portuguese and Spanish and Italians are much better than than we are at that. The in in on UK and Ireland are we're poor. Um so so to, but to start early making sure that you've been so if you're 25 listening to this, you know, how many people you could call a friend are over the age of 50 or 70 that you know. And likewise for people of my age, how many younger people do I have? I'm really lucky because um, my son went to college in in Dublin, and I uh, his friends were just great crack, lovely people, and I have retained contact with a cohort of those, and you know they're 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 re so refreshing to my life. So, but you have to make a conscious effort, and you have to yeah. reach out and to do that because societally we don't do it it doesn't come naturally to us to well, do why it. does it not come natural to the uk and ireland i wonder 
I wonder, it's just a cultural thing. I think, I don't know. I think people feel more comfortable with their peer group, but you, it comes back to the whole thing. If I was asked, what's the one thing in my life which is really important and going to sustain me throughout my life, I would say, remember variety. That's all you have to do. Whatever you're doing, remember variety. So that's variety in your friendships, variety in what, what gives you purpose in the day, variety on what you put on your plate. The more color, the better. Mm. So it, it literally is the spice of life, as they say. It is the spice of life, even a variety in your exercise. So, there's, so that your body is constantly being interested, constantly being stimulated by something. And if you think about people you know, maybe in their 90s, and I hope you do, who are what you would say are aging really well. The one mm. thing you'll find about them is they're interested. They're always interested in what's happening around them and et cetera. And so the variety is part of that constant interest and changing and excitement always with life. It's fascinating. And it's like everything you're saying seems perfectly logical and seems very straightforward and simple. And yet, as you said, like, like if I think of, you know, some of my relatives, aunts, uncles, mams, dads, you know, like if I'm thinking about them, I'm kind of looking at it and saying, okay, would they have a huge amount of variety in their life? Some of them would, but then others, you know, they'd be very sort of family orientated, you know, uh, like kids, grandkids. And, you know, that's kind of their, their lot. And they seem very happy and everything. But in terms of that variety piece, and even myself to an extent, outside of relatives, would I be able to, call upon someone that's a friend to be like 60 or older i don't think i would so so that's correct and that's not uncommon and i suppose my message is you need to consciously do it and reach yeah. out and we need to as a society i've got one great piece um um we we, we for, for tilda um so so 10 years into the study we had a, a kind of an external review um to see you know is it worth put money into the study or should should the government close it down and one of the most heartening things for me that came out of all of that was and, and they had different models to apply to the to the materials that came out of tilda to make this evaluation i'm about to share and that was that tilda has changed our attitude towards aging in ireland it has changed ageism in wow. ireland in the in the media mostly they were media um, exposures that they were looking at. It's changed the language in the media and the approach and attitude of the media. And I just thought, found that so refreshing. I think if it achieves nothing else, if we manage to do that, because ageism is horrible and yeah. it's very hard for people to have a positive attitude and to feel, enjoy the aging process, which it is a really enjoyable process, believe it or not. Um, it's very difficult if constantly around you, you're being bombarded with negative messages and you know negative terminology so so i think the fact that that uh the attitudes have changed is brilliant and i think the fact that we're talking to a young audience now mm. um about the aging process their biology when it starts in your 20s and what you can do to to ensure that you have a happier better quality of life throughout your life that's fabulous Absolutely. My dad always said to me that, you know, like 
like slagging him about getting old or whatever. Just, you know, he, he'd do something at home and be like, ah, that's, you're getting older. And his response would always be, there's others who don't get that privilege, son. So, like what you were saying there very much ties into that. But then in terms of, you know, the aging process starting in your 20s, what, what can we do then to stay younger for longer, so to speak? So there's a fabulous study in uh, called the Dunedin study, which is actually not like us, where we started at age 45 following people through, but they started at birth and they just took a thousand births in Dunedin, New Zealand in one year. And they've been following them. They're 50 now, every wow. every four years. Wow. And they showed actually that biological aging, biological aging, when they measured it, there's a way you can do it through epigenetic clocks, like they're kind of DNA clocks, genetic clocks that measure your the real age of your cell as opposed to the number of candles on your birthday cake. They showed that started way early on. And they they when they looked, say, at the cohort when they were all aged 38, so all the same chronological age, there was a difference of almost 20 years in their biological age. So some people aged 38 were behaving biologically like 22 year olds, but others were behaving like 48 and almost 50 year olds. And then when they looked at, well, well, what, what, what's that? What's driving that? Those who were behaving older, whose cells were older, so biologically they were older, actually had had, um, you know, difficult childhoods, divorce in the family, alcoholism in the family, etc., or they themselves had bad health behaviors, drinking, excessive alcohol or taking drugs or depression. Depression was a big, big driver um, and stress. So 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 I would say for those listening that the things that you can modify are to maybe modify excesses of alcohol or cigarettes was huge. And oh, everything we look at cigarettes is just so bad i can't even tell you it nearly explains 40 percent of all of the negative outcomes we look at no matter what it is it's cigarettes thankfully we we don't see as many young people smoking these days and actually it was only last week uh, i was driving into the housing estate where i live and i saw and i mean there were teenagers they couldn't have been older than 16 and i saw them smoking and it was like I, i was actually shocked you know, like when I was 16, you see a lot of people smoking, but now it's kind of like, geez, I thought that was the kind of the, the age group that, you know, they've grown up knowing better with the smoking ban in place and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, but vaping is changing that practice. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, when the tobacco companies started buying up the vaping companies, um, I was slow to the mark in my, in, t- in my thought process. I thought, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. Why why would that be? But of course, it's to get them addicted to the nic- nicotine. Nicotine is incredibly addictive. And I mean, it's a very easy step then from a vape to a cigarette. So I think you're absolutely right, Danny. I think that we have regressed hugely with exposing people to vaping. Giving it to people who are smokers to try and help them get off cigarettes, adults, is different. Yeah. But introducing kids to it. And addicting them to something they were never addicted to, to before is almost a recipe to disaster because the next step for them will be cigarettes and maybe maybe worse. It's incredible. You know, say there forty percent there of the uh, of the negative thing yeah. was from smoking. Yeah. Like, do you just mean like um, getting health. getting sick or health? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting sick in in adult life, like having a stroke, having a heart attack, kidneys going. 
um, or, 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 or you know, but now, now it's sometimes very difficult to separate when you're doing these analysis, the impact of smoking and, of course, the impact of stress or poor socioeconomic circumstances. I mean, if you have money pressures. Yeah. And you're smoking. I mean, how are you going to, as a scientist, how am I going to look and say, well, that much is the smoking and that much is the money pressures. So we know that economic pressures is, is a huge stress on people physically. And that and other health behaviours is one of the reasons why, if you take the United Kingdom, mainland uh, UK, um, there's almost a 20 year difference between the time you die in Glasgow and the time you die in south of england gloucester mm. and it's all related to poor socioeconomic yeah. uh, conditions it's, it's Gla- glasgow is one of the poorest cities in europe isn't it yeah and they've one of the high, they've one of the earliest death rates we really don't know why why all of that is happening um but 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 there are a number of factors as i've mentioned poverty is one their diet is an awful cigarette smoking is another um um yeah so so you know there there are a number of 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 different reasons that can explain it because you see you know getting older only only uh, 20% of it is because of your genetic makeup i mean Danny, you were talking about your dad and living long and earlier when we were chatting beforehand about grandparents and stuff mm. well well the fact of the matter is you're living longer is only only 20% of what your relatives have done in terms of living longer will contribute to your living longer. The yeah. rest you have control over. The rest mm. are things like your food and your physical activity and your attitude, frankly, and your friendships and your social engagement um, and, uh, and you know, and lots of other behaviors like with cold water, as we were talking about, um, et cetera. Um, so, so we can control 80% of how we yeah. age that's fantastic i love that message because then that's full of hope absolutely yeah, yeah. and yeah. the earlier you start the better so you 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 mentioned stress and we'll, the, the cold water one as well i definitely want to talk to you about that because that's something that I, i'm constantly seeing in my social media feed and i'm constantly seeing friends of mine take to beaches around the country at stupid o'clock in the morning to have their morning swim but mm-hmm. you mentioned stress a minute ago and mm-hmm. it's something that i've I've been reading a lot about recently because we, we had Jacinda Ardern and uh, Nicola Sturgeon both kind of referenced burnout in that as they stepped down mm. uh, and it was very prominent. Mm. And it's kind of like that's opened the door to these conversations around burnout and stress. How significant is it to be able to acknowledge when you're feeling it and what impact can I have on you to, to address it early on? So... We all get stressed. Yeah. I mean, it's part of life, unfortunately. It's really, really important to know when you're stressed and to try and stand back. I'll tell you a funny story. One of my my boys, my lads, gave me a one of those Garmin phones for Christmas. <laughs> it keeps beeping when I'm at m- meetings saying, you need to relax, you need to relax. <laughs> <laughs> and I get stressed out and I feel like saying, shut up, I know, but I have to make this point. <laughs> so, so, but but having an awareness of, of when you're getting stressed is really important. Heart rate goes up. That's a good clue. If you feel your heart rate going up, that you're stressed. Um, now, like there's a good science now around de-stressing techniques so once you recognize it 
If you can meditate once a day, twice a day, two minutes, five minutes a time, whatever you can manage in the day, that's important. Um, yoga is great because it mixes relaxing type of exercises and stretches with um, meditation type um, regimes. Um, mindfulness is good and that's trying to stay in the moment. I am really bad at that. I'm always thinking of what I'm trying to do. So I find mindfulness very, very difficult. But also, it's all very well for us to be sitting back talking about all of these techniques. But frankly, if you're under money pressure, if you're yeah. wondering if you're going to be evicted at the end of the month, none of this is going to alleviate your stress because the fact that's causing the factor that's causing your stress is far bigger than anything that we're talking about. You know, it's far more in control of you than anything else. So I think we have to be prepared to help people and at a policy level and at a societal level to do our very best to ensure people don't get stressed. And, and at the moment that just, it's, I just can't believe what's happening, frankly. Yeah. With respect to stress. So, but you can be aware of stress. And if you can, if you're in a position to use those de-stressing methodologies is great. Um, um, generally speaking, if you've got a slow heart rate, that's really good. That means you're you're not getting stressed. So and and what the things I talked about slow the heart rate, but so does physical activity. And physical activity will help with stress. So I'm just looking now, right? My rest and heart rate apparently is 56 beats per minute. Totally. I've no is that good, bad, or indifferent now? Very know. good. That's very good. I would say if you're your resting heart rate, it depends on age. There's a very sharp age gradient with it. Mm. But at your age, your resting heart rate between 50 and 60 is very good. That's fine. I'll, I'll take it. And, I, and even gonna, and even if you get a bit older, like less than 65 is grand, you know? I'm I'm hoping this watch isn't broken now because that's made me feel <laughs> a bit better. So that's good news. In, in in the topic of stress though, like yeah, like non-scientifically, anecdotally in, in, in yeah. my life yeah. and social circle. Um, yeah. I would be very concerned about the play the, the, the young ones, the you know, the late teens, the early twenties. Um, who are living their life on, on say social media and photographs and seeking yeah. gratitude from yeah. likes and positive comments. I mean, what how like what are we what are we gonna do with that? Like I know, no, so this is this is it's clearly a stressor. Mm. Can work both ways. It can alleviate stress if you're really sharing with people you trust and it's it's a kind of a productive sharing, but generally speaking particularly as you say for the younger younger it's it's it becomes a competition it becomes it's almost a way of putting extra it is definitely putting extra pressure on people in some cases shaming individuals feeling shamed of ashamed of themselves because yeah. they're making comparisons with impossible um comparators like you know ridiculous things so um I, I agree with you. It's incredibly worrying for our society. The one thing I would say that's positive is we know from a lot of science experiments that if you're stressed and you can share that stress, that it reduces the effect of the stress on your hormone system and your nervous system. And they're the two big things which, which do damage if you're mm -hmm. constantly stressed. So there's a lovely um, experiment that was done in the States where 
two sets of undergraduate psychology students they were divided up and they were all they both the groups were given a debate a subject to debate and they were all told you're going to debate this subject in front of la 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 and it was quite nerve-wracking for them this both the topic and the fact that they were going to be debating in front of people one half of the class were allowed to talk to each other about what they were going to say and how they were going to say it and what their worries were about it and kind of get help from each other and share the experience. The others were not. They'd go away and work on it on their own. And the hormone levels I'm talking about and the nervous system levels were measured before either of the group were given the debate topic and then after the debate. And the group that had shared had far less lower rises in the hormone levels or the nerve system stress levels than the other group. Um, showing that sharing helped them to manage the stress they were going to have because of the tasks they were given, but it helped them manage it. It's halved the yeah. stress impact. So sharing, that's just one experiment that I like because I think it shows it really nicely in young people and, and sharing makes a difference. It helps. Absolutely, yeah, and it's it it's one of them. Like we, you know, I, I I've heard it for as long as I can remember. That whole a problem shared is a problem halved, and sharing is caring, and all that kind of thing. But it's sometimes it's it's good to get the science behind it as well to be like, look, yeah. these aren't just kind of little idioms that people come out with from time to time. That there's genuine hardcore science behind it. So you know, do it. Don't don't bottle it up, kind of thing. The one thing is, which is important, when you're sharing, make sure it's. Not with someone who's going to listen and come up with <coughs> decent <laughs> solutions or even discussion with you. There's nothing yeah. worse than sharing with someone who's going to be critical, you know, yeah. of you um, inappropriately or of the person you might be sharing about. It might be something about a relationship or whatever. And they would say, oh, that fella or that girl, what do you expect? And, you know, all negativity. That won't help you either. It has to be someone, you know, will be reflective and constructive. Um, and at, at the very least, listen to you. That's brilliant because that's you sharing. But if if the listening is is coupled with kind of negative nuances, that doesn't help. Absolutely. I do you know what I do. Um, I if I get like a knot in my stomach or a sense of stress or whatever, mm. and I know what it is, I take a few deep breaths and I say it out loud, and it's almost like my nervous yeah. system is responding to that. And if I do it two or three times, I feel the feeling kind of disappear slowly. And then all of a sudden I feel OK. So, I mean, we can still talk to our nervous system and our nervous yeah. system can respond to that. Well, that's a great point, Graham. Yeah. We can talk to our nervous system. Yeah. Now, the breathing you're doing, you talked about breathing. And that is I said to you, the vagus nerve is really important. That's the nerve that slows the heart down. And it actually it actually slows down nearly all of the systems in our body. It's incredibly important for relaxing us and for la relaxing everything our gut even. So if you breathe, take, you know, count four in or three in, hold for four or three and then slowly exhale, even do that five times. Yeah. The breathing system and the receptors there trigger a slowing mechanism and they slow the vagus nerve right down. And you can you can test it. You can take your baseline heart rate and yeah, yeah. do, do it after breathing. So that's what you're doing as well as talking to your system. I laugh to myself. If, I, if I'm getting stressed or it's usually annoyed with somebody at a meeting, I imagine them in a funny position. And I, laugh <laughs> <to myself. laughs> I laugh to myself. And it completely 
diffuses anything and makes yeah. my, my comments far more sensible than they I'm would. I'm going to adopt that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's there. The, the breathing thing, and you, you mentioned cold water and in a clunky attempt to segue, mm. breathing helps as well in terms of that cold water piece and manage because as we were talking beforehand, and Mero mentioned his cold showers and mm. that kind of thing. And I've kind of said, like, I'm very curious about it, but I've always wondered, is it is it just a bit gimmicky and is it a bit of a fad? But you were saying, no, cold water has massive benefits on us. Cold water has massive benefits on us. Uh, absolutely. Um, so so if you think of one, a cell, and we've trillions of them, but I'll mm. give you an example of one cell. A cell um, can be, there are things which are toxic to a cell if you, if you deprive it of oxygen. But for a while, the shock of that actually awakens other systems in the cell which were dormant. And that's really good for the cell. It starts to kind of reinvigorate. And the, the other the other one is cold water. It's a shock to the cell. And it's actually good for it because it makes other systems in the cell waken up. Yeah. Um, it's a very well-known old physiological, um, uh, not, not really technique, but actual pathway that we have. Um, and it's called hormesis. So cold water is the one that we can do as humans. You can't be depriving ourselves of oxygen often or radiation is the other thing. But we can do cold water. So, so it's good for the cells. It, it, it wakens up the pathways that had previously been dormant in the cell for a period of time. But it's also very good, probably as a consequence of that, in de-stressing, because it reduces all of this, eventually it reduces all of those stress responses. Um, and it also balances the, our hormones, particularly the hormones involved in depression, mood changes, stress and immunity. Um, I used to get in uh, chest infections. I had asthma up until I started doing cold water showers every morning. Um, and I haven't had an attack in four years. That's anecdotal. But actually, there are randomized controlled trials now, which mm. have shown that if you randomize people into taking cold water showers or not, and mm. um, that those who took cold water showers, particularly if it's coupled by physical activity during the day, but even the cold water showers themselves were significantly less likely to get chest infections and, and missed significantly fewer days um, at work. So, so start taking cold showers mm. is what I need to do, basically. To... Yeah, but be very careful how you do it. So there's two ways you can do it, and there's okay. no science behind which way is best. I know um, Graham was saying he takes it every morning. I was really delighted to hear that. Explains your beautiful complexion, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, so some people do their ablutions with hot water first, do all the cleaning, washing the hair, whatever, and then stand under a cold shower. Graham was saying... For no reason that he's sure about, he just gets in under it. Is that right? Do you want to say what you said? Yeah, no, like I, I think it started by accident in terms of waiting for the water to turn uh, warm, but um, I just, I just continued it, like, and yeah, it, you know, it, it'll be, it won't be, it'll be two or three minutes before the the water um gets gets to the right temperature but yeah. i mean i still that's very good if don't you, delay it. two or three minutes is, is very good i mean so i'd say to anybody who's starting it just choose whichever way you want go cold first and then hot and clean or the other way around and um, but the important thing is we don't really know how long you have to stay under a shower to have the benefits so it's a kind of a guesstimate a half a minute to one minute and maybe some people do it for two some obviously some people do it for longer um but start start slowly because don't put yourself off. 
Mm. Um, so I would say start for the count of five. One, two, three, four, five. Ah, I'm out of here. Whatever. <laughs> Um, but and then start very slowly and and build it up very gradually. Don't be afraid to do that. The other thing is, it's really good if you're if you're feeling tired and you have to do something, you have to go to something, and you feel oh I don't feel like this. Have a cold shower. It'll wake you up. It gets you into a completely different phase. And it's it's very good, and particularly cold water swimming appears to be good. And there's evidence now emerging with respect to this for mood for depression if you're feeling you know low mood or that it's it's very mm. good for you and there's a couple of things obviously the cold water itself and secondly if particularly if you're swimming in the sea you meet people and there's the social engagement and the sharing of of a common task all of that is is very it's very good for us but we think how we've evolved we've evolved as animals and then very early um well humanoids who who were sleeping in caves at night getting up with the dawn and first thing in the morning, in and out of the water, hiding in water, um, in, in and out of cold and relatively warm um, atmospheres all the time. Now we're inclined to really spoil ourselves. I mean, if the if the house isn't above a certain temperature and if the shower isn't above a certain temperature, you were frozen. <laughs> so, but then a lot of our systems are asleep because we're not doing anything to to waken them up and challenge them. And that's why it's so important to keep doing that. It's definitely uh, food for thought. And it's, um, I said, I, I know I've seen a lot of people and uh, the whole dry robe debate that went on on social media as well. Uh, but mm -hmm. there definitely seems to be benefits to it. So maybe I will start. I think I would go with your method, Mero. I think the idea of being cold first and then the hot water kicking in mm. probably <laughs> sounds better than being hot and then going to cold. I'm not sure how I'd cope there at all now. But Yeah, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. Um, but before we let you go, Professor Kenny, yeah. sleep. How important is sleep in all of this? Stuff? Very important. I'm really glad you brought up sleep. Sleep is really, really important. And we're only understanding how important it is mm. recently, actually. Now, I, I want to qualify that because when I'm giving lectures, you know, and I say that, so many people say, oh, God, you've, you've worried me even more. You've depressed me even more. I don't <laughs> sleep well. And it's true. Like, you know, not, not everybody is a good sleeper. You know, and, and it's actually innate in some of us, like a, a chronotrope, it's a talk for another day, but it is actually innate how, how, how we sleep. But there are things you can do to help sleep. And one of the reasons that our sleep patterns are so bad now as a society as a whole, lots of people have sleeping problems, are we're under so much pressure and stress at work that we take all of that to the pillow. Yeah. And we're, we're constantly ruminating about it and stuff. So so it is worthwhile stepping back and before you get into the bedroom or even when you're there, make a list of everything that's bothering you and then make a list of everything you're going to do tomorrow. So you're not lying there thinking, oh, tomorrow I must do this or next week I must make it. Just write them all down. Get that out, out while you're awake. Get rid of that. Secondly, blue light. So we've evolved with yellow light predominantly. That's the lovely fires we used to sit around, etc. Now we're exposed to blue light constantly. And our the melatonin and supranuclear um, uh, chiasmic nucleus in the brain, which govern our sleep-wake cycles, they don't respond that well to blue light. Um, they, it's not a natural trigger for them. So it disrupts our normal sleep patterns because of that. Uh, so we really shouldn't expose ourselves to blue light for an hour before bed. Now, people find that difficult because they watch telly towards the end or whatever. But they're the, I'm just giving you the facts if you have trouble. Make sure your room is absolutely pitch black 
and as silent as possible. Whatever you have to do to make it pitch black, do that. And um, then, you know, hot bath or hot shower at night, which will relax your systems. That's also good. So I'm such a light sleeper. Like I, I'd hear the grass grow and like yeah. I, I have um, I have earplugs every night, big industrial earplugs. Yeah. Because of 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 the yeah. noise and like yeah. little noises get me in. I yeah. I would say I get maximum seven hours sleep a night. So, so if you get seven, that's good. Okay. So if that's really good, I mean, uh, without waking during the seven hours. Yeah, I wouldn't wake. Once I'm asleep, I would wake up and my alarm wakes up. You are me. so lucky. Believe me, you're in lucky. a minority. Yes. How about you, Danny? Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm weird with sleep and that I'm strict about it. So like I'd I'd have a bedtime. Do you know what I mean? Like I I'd like half ten I'd be like, right, that's it, I'm I'm going up. And I'd be in bed and I want to be asleep by half eleven because I get up at half six. So I I try stick to that as much as I possibly can. I'm probably not great with the like I'd be a devil for going up to bed and then I'd go on my phone for a half hour before I was just gonna give that scenario. Well, first yeah. of all to say between seven and nine hours sleep is is the is the optimum, okay? For for brain health and physical health. So if mm. you can get seven, that's what I'm saying, Graham, you're very lucky. And and if you if you once you hit the pillow, if you stay asleep, that's brilliant. As people get older, their sleep is more fragmented. They get up to the loo or they just don't sleep as well. Um and that's and kind of a normal process of aging. Um but 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 if you if you do that, that that is that is brilliant. Um now. We all do this. Get into the bed. Look at the phone. Say, I'm just looking at it for one second just to see yeah. if there's anything else. And a half an hour later, you're still on it. Yeah. So really, if you have problems, and obviously you don't, but if you did, you should really leave the phone outside the door, the bedroom door. Yeah. It's uh, Creatures of convenience because now the phone is everything. It's your alarm clock. It's your internet. Mm. It's your, it's, so it's that whole thing. Of, and Mero, do you use your phone as your alarm as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's, and I did, I've said it to, to my wife as well, that I'm like, I'm going to get one of those old-fashioned alarm clocks mm -hmm. to try and leave the phone. And I'm going to go back to bringing a book to bed because mm -hmm. I, I I can't just get into bed and go head down and that's it. I need to do something for a few minutes beforehand. Book so, is the thing because there's nothing unnatural about that. And mm -hmm. it gets you, it'll get you into a really good space before you go to sleep. Book is, book is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. If you can uh, and get the, get the old fashioned alarms if there are any of them around anywhere. <laughs> I'll have, yeah. to go, I'll have to go hunting. I'm sure the, the middle oils in those shops. I'm sure will have something old school anyway. Um, yeah. But uh, Professor Kenny, it's it's been brilliant chatting to you, and it's so been interesting. Thank uh, you. Yeah, so fascinating. Um, and hopefully we, we'll we'll get to chat to you again in another little while and hear more about what the Tilda team have been up to. Uh, because it's great work. It it it's integral to to everybody, but it's it's fascinating. Um, so thank you very much delighted thank you it's those kind of chats Graham that I always wish we had about three hours with the person I know yeah because it flew through and it's, it was so interesting and yeah. she's absolutely lovely lady brilliant yeah. she's absolutely brilliant and um, like, really enjoyed that so, sometimes when you talk when we talk to a sciencey person um, to give them their official title of course yeah <laughs> uh, Professors, I, Danny. Yeah, I'm always a little bit nervous that, oh, they're going to be too academic and they're not going to, like, the information won't be accessible and they won't be able to tell us in a way that, like, you know, the layman like us can understand. Yeah. But in fairness, she, like, everything she said made perfect sense. And I'm like, right, I, I need to, 
stop being such an antisocial person. Yeah. Uh, I need to work cold water into my hygiene routine and I need to get better sleep. Absolutely. Three, three simple. I can do all them, Graham. Of I can course do all can, them. Yeah. No, nothing there that I can't do. People and it will, should help me in the long people term. People will learn a lot from this. Absolutely, they will. And and check out what the, the Tilda team are doing. Um, you can you can just, if you Google Tilda Study Ireland, you, you'll get lots of information. And the website has loads and loads of stuff and all the different reports and all that kind of stuff. And as uh, Professor Kenny said, they've been following these people now for over a decade. So if you go onto the website and you go on and you look at what the Tilda team are up to, you'll see that consistency and that level of detail. And it, it's fascinating, genuinely fascinating. But the the reality of it all, I suppose, is that, you know, we all need to do a little bit better for each other, but equally for society. We're all going to get old someday. And if we're not doing something to make elderly people have a better life today, who's going to do it for us when we get to our 70s and whatnot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, good, good chat. Enjoyed that, and a big thanks to Professor Kenny and the boys in Trinity for uh, setting that up and, and taking time out to chat to us. Great hustle, indeed. Um, Mero, we won't talk much about anything else, and uh, I'll give you a week off because uh, I think you and other Shamrock Rovers fans need to get together and have a conversation about what's yeah. happening. Um, I'll talk so, about it next week. Yeah, so so we'll we'll give you a chance to right wrongs, and then we'll come back to it. Is that fair? Perfect. That's perfect. Um, if you want to listen to any previous episodes or this episode, you've already listened to. Well, that's a stupid statement. Sorry. If you want to <laughs> listen to all previous episodes of What Story Podcast, just search WTS Pod on any podcast provider, Spotify Pod. Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, anywhere, everywhere you can get a podcast. You go to WTSPod.com and you can get us on Twitter at WTSPod. He's at Daniel Murray on Twitter. I'm at Merrigan Mania at Twitter. And until next time, Daniel. Have a cold shower and make a friend. Clear noise. Full hearts. Can't lose. Oh, sweet.